I don't know about that podcast where we talk about, well, I don't know. But today we're talking about belonging. But first, let's talk about this week in history. So this week in history uh, wraps the Battle of Midway in June of 1944. Uh, The battle was fought between the 6th and 7th, today being the 7th, the day that we're recording this. Uh, It was fought between the Empire of Japan and the United States. So what had happened was (laughs) that uh, the Empire of Japan had in their war... Uh, Before the U.S. was involved, they had realized they needed resources, and the problem was uh, the stuff that they could gobble up, like uh, the French colonies and the British colonies, because they were busy in Europe. Yeah. uh, They only account for so many, or for so much of the land there, so many of the colonies. And the U.S. just happened to have some very important colonies that were in the middle, uh, not in the middle, but in the way of some of their expansion, for instance, the Philippines. Yeah. Uh, also, we had a lot of trade interest in China, who they were in the broiled in a massive war against at the time. Um, so, also the U.S., uh, even though we were in a very isolationist phase at the time, we did not like their uh, very aggressive policy. Partially, this was racist. I mean. The United States had its own very aggressive policies and expansionist policies back in the day. And, oh, you're Asian. You're not supposed to do that. Was mm. kind of... I, I don't know if that was in the forefront of a lot of people's minds at this point. Yeah. Or if this was just sort of like a, hey, we've gone through this and we don't want you to do this. You are now messing with our interests. Mm-hmm. But it was a little bit racist. Um, but also the emp- the Empire of Japan had a very militarized samurai outlook. And uh, so they had to conquer. They had to colonize. Yeah. Um, it, it was the inevitability of what happened when um, the colonization powers of the 17th, 18th centuries met Japan. Yeah. Of, the, of the, that time period. Um so Japan is now on this expansionist spree. Uh, they realize they're going to have to at some point involve the U.S. The U.S. has embargoed their oil. They've said you can't trade in this, you can't trade in that, and we want you to stop. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is the major supply of oil and other things that they need for their war efforts, so they're going to have to get involved with us eventually. Uh, this culminates in the attack on Pearl Harbor, which brings us into the war. And for the longest time, we were on the back foot. We're fighting defensively. We lose the Philippines. Uh, we lost a ton of battles. We had some good scraps in there. Yeah. But for the most part, we were losing. And uh, we needed to turn this around. Uh, then we did something called the Doolittle Raid. They get, I believe at the time he was a general, but he might not have been. I need to go back and look up that point. Uh, but they get General Doolittle to load... Um, a group of army of light army bombers onto the decks of aircraft carriers, which if you know anything about aviation, big bombers need long space to take off. Mm-hmm. Aircraft carriers are not nearly long enough, but they found that the, the uh, B-25 Mitchell um, 
could just barely take off. It couldn't land, but it could take off uh, from the early carriers that we had in World War II. And so we launched a surprise bombing campaign that did very little damage, but it freaked the Japanese high command out ridiculously. They were terrified. Oh my gosh. Uh, the homeland has been attacked. The emperor was put in danger. We have to fight back. We have to secure the uh, perimeter. They're freaking out. Yeah. The Americans are going, yes, we hit back. And all the papers are saying, see, we can strike back. They, they did so little military damage, um, like militarily valuable damage. It was all down to psychological and propaganda value. Um, Which they always say, the mind is half the battle. Mm. It, it is a good chunk of it. Um, and in this case, it turned the tide of the war. Uh, the Japanese are still very much on this high of victories that they're coming off of, and they fight, uh, they fight a few battles, including the Battle of the Java Sea, which ends up being a tactical victory for the Japanese, but a strategic victory for the United States. But nobody knew that at the time. It was closer to a draw hmm. than anything else. Uh, we heavily damaged two of their carriers, and they sunk one of ours. Okay. But the Japanese had been planning for a while, uh, because of the Doolittle Raid, to expand out. Their, their plan at first was to capture all this territory, turn around to America, and say, okay, let's negotiate peace. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the plan was to do it rapid, really quick, as fast as you can, then build up for the next phase of the war, because obviously the Americans are going to come back. We'll build more ships, we'll train up more men, we'll get better equipment, and then we'll do it all again. Yeah. And then we'll sue for peace again, we'll hold that line, uh, gear up again, and just keep going that way. Uh, but the U.S. had also been working really hard on breaking the naval codes. And they were to the point where they could read about every sixth word. And they started getting this idea that the Japanese were going to go beyond what they had originally intended. The, the U.S. didn't know that this was their initial plan, but it like really solidified it. Yeah. Uh, that they were going to try and build this unassailable line in the Pacific. Um, and you couldn't get past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sue for peace. And now, because they had attacked Japan, this was going to have to go further, and so they were going to have to try and hit Midway, and they were going to try and lure out the American fleet and sink the American carriers there, and then the U.S. would have to accept whatever terms the Japanese put forward because we wouldn't have, have any major naval units in the area. Yeah. But the U.S. codebreakers started figuring everything out. They were able to lay a couple of traps and figure out, okay, Midway is where this is going to be. The U.S. pulls what ships it can together, including three aircraft carriers. Uh, they actually fortify Midway Atoll. Midway is this tiny set of like two islands in the middle of nowhere uh, in the Pacific. It is literally Midway. midway. <laughs> it is literally Midway between Hawaii and Japan. Mm. Uh, but they fortify the islands so much that I think it's Sand Island. Uh, in the Midway Atoll, actually sinks about two inches. Oh, no. They put that much in the way of fortifications. Wow. Um, the Japanese do not know that we've broken the code. They show up. They bomb the island once. The island sends its outdated uh, fighter planes up and sends whatever bombers it's got out. They do no damage to the fleet, uh, but the due to some 
shoddy spotting and some bad ideas on scouting. Yeah. Uh, the Japanese don't know that the American fleet is a couple hundred miles away until much later, and they're already gearing up to bomb uh, Midway again. Yeah. And everything sort of comes together in this really interesting collection of luck and skill, and in my opinion, there's probably the hand of God in this as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the Americans arrive at just the right time. The Japanese are in the middle of trying to figure out... Um, they've equipped their planes to bomb Midway, then they find out, oh, no, wait, the U.S. fleet is here. It's not supposed to be here yet. According to our plans, they're not supposed <laughs> to be here yet. Why do other people not go with my plans? I have my mental this. script. Why aren't you saying what I thought you were going to say? So they're, they're, they freak out for a minute, unload their planes, and stack all the bombs up on the side, and then load up to attack uh, the... Uh, Americans, and uh, there's there's this this moment of well well we need to bomb the island, but we also need to bomb the fleet, and so stuff is just sort of in this weird state of ammunition is piled up here. There's aviation fuel that hasn't quite been fully taken care of, and then oh my gosh, here comes the um the fleet the the, the group that bombed Midway, and they're about they need to land. Uh, do we launch the strike yet? No. And then the torpedo bombers from the Americans show up and they all get shot down. All get shot down. But what this does is all the zeros, all the fighters, are now flying close to the water where the uh, torpedo bombers were. Yeah. And all the dive bombers come out of the sky. Oh boy, <laughs> and wow. we sink in just a couple of minutes. I think they said it's like one of the luckiest, if I remember the time right, it's like the luckiest 20 minutes in history. Three aircraft carriers from the four that the Japanese brought were sunk. Wow. One last aircraft carrier, they send an attack, they hit um, USS Yorktown, uh, and through a series of attack and reattacks, uh, Yorktown actually gets repaired, launches fighters, it gets bombed again, but we also sink the uh, enemy, uh, the last uh, Japanese carrier at the time. And so it's like a complete wash for the Japanese. Uh, they have to turn all their big battleships around. They turn their invasion fleet around and they go home. The Americans have just, in the matter of a day, they, they try to pursue, but there, there's no decisive engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, the Japanese, however, do end up sinking Yorktown. She was bombed again, repaired. Uh, everybody had come off of Yorktown, but a submarine eventually found it while they were towing it back for full repairs and uh, hit it with a couple of torpedoes, and down she goes. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> torpedoes and ships don't mix. They're, yeah. What? <laughs> so this is the biggest turning point. Suddenly the Americans have two operational aircraft carriers, another one that is in for some hefty repairs, uh, but will be out in a couple of months. The Japanese have no operational aircraft carriers in the Midway vicinity. Uh, and the uh, two that were badly damaged at uh, the Java Sea are now... Um, they're in for heavy-duty repairs, and that's going to take a while. So for this, this weird couple of months... The Americans and the Japanese are on this awkward, I'd say, equal footing where the Americans want to take the advantage, but the Japanese are trying to figure out how do we deal with with having the same amount of uh, 
air arm as like air capability as they do it, it the Americans end up after a while producing what is sometimes called the Essex Swarm and uh, they produce so many Essex class aircraft carriers that it, you could almost just walk from California to Japan on the decks of aircraft carriers it's like <laughs> wow. 20 some carriers wow in the span of like two years two or three years so but this battle really started everything like rebalanced the Pacific and then with America's um, production house really kicking into gear it just it the tide of the war turned militarily and then materially yeah very quickly just very quickly we did mention the enemy in that portion of the podcast. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, so uh, I don't know how well I did, but I tried very hard to um, to speak using the terms of the time. For instance, I never, or at least I tried to never refer to them as simply Japan. It was the Empire of Japan and Imperial Japanese forces. Probably forgot a few times. Uh, so but that's different from today. Yes, yeah, no, after World War II, uh, they were just Japan. Um, I always try to refer to that, so if I bring up uh, more World War II stuff, it'll be Nazi Germany, it will be fascist Italy, uh, things like that. Um, I always try to make that distinction because I understand there is a difference between a country nowadays and a country yesterday. And uh, the people nowadays and the people yesterday. Right. So there, there are very big differences. But at the same time, if you don't learn from your history, you will be doomed to repeat it. So I think it's very important to keep the labels there. Right. I think it's very clear how much a country can grow just from our time living in Germany. I yes. think, yeah, yeah. We, we lived there 2004 to to 2005 or was yeah. it just 2004 uh yeah it was just 04 um and so just like it's so like you wouldn't even think it's the same country from studying history yeah. to going there today and i i think we are very sensitive to that just because of what we like mm -hmm. our experiences yeah. there and stuff yeah and now it's time for this new segment we're introducing it's called a word of the day and it is going to be brought to you by bethany today i had to look up this word myself because i didn't know what it meant and it's promontory and it's like prom promontory so it's like a prom in a dormitory Shh, i would not enjoy going to that kind of prom <laughs> that does not sound like fun but it's a point of high land that juts out into a large body of water, or it's like a headland, so it's kind of like a cliff. So you'd put a lighthouse over. there, yeah. probably. Yeah, okay. you'd probably put like a lighthouse there. And it would be prominent. Yes, <laughs> there we go. Now you know how to remember the word. That probably is actually say. part of the origins of the word. You know, prom prominent. Yeah. Story. It's probably say, Greek or Latin or something. Probably. I will say in my study in naval history, I've seen that word pop up, but it like becomes slowly out of use. Like yeah. specifically within the history of the United States, like during the colonization in early US days, I see it pop up a lot more and then it just slowly. Maybe goes they away. all crumbled away and we have no more. <laughs> Speaking of that, why I had to look it up was I just had been thinking about this poem that I had read in college and by John Donne, who is a poet that I just absolutely love. 
but um, I looked up his poem, no, or yeah, poem No Man is an Island, and it had that word in it. I just didn't know what it meant. And so I also just wanted to read that poem for y'all real quick. It says, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. And that's just all about, like, all of humanity is kind of like, it's a part of you and you're a part of it, and we're not all just individual peoples. That's why it's no man is an island. We're not all just individuals. We're all a part of a community and all of the communities are a part of each other. And so just mm -hmm. the fact that we're all connected. And so that's just, yeah. you know, so I was just thinking about that. And then I just had to look up what promontory meant. Right. Well, thank you for sharing. I really do. I think that's a timely poem for what's going on right yeah. now. And I mean, and that was written in, I mean, it has an old English version here where it's like, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the... I mean, this spelling would, is painful. <laughs> Your old English takes on a very Scottish accent. Okay. I mean, um, uh, my family's originally from Scotland. Not originally. A long time ago. Long time but ago it was. But. It sounds like this poem is still relevant, so maybe we're not John done with it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm done done. <laughs> I thought I would like to take this moment to talk about chicken. Chicken. Oh dear. So, something I learned really interesting about myself this week. You're um, a chicken? No, well, fair. <laughs> um... I'm chicken intolerant. You're chicken intolerant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you didn't know already, I'm gluten intolerant, lactose intolerant, and allergic to shrimp. <laughs> and this summer I'd been realizing that chicken had been making me sick. But, like, walking around saying you're chicken intolerant <laughs> is so embarrassing. <laughs> It's like gluten intolerance, like trendy, you yeah. know, right now. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't do lactose is like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Let's be honest. Everyone who's lactose intolerant will drink a whole thing of whole milk anyway. Right. Like they'll have ice cream <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it's worth it. But like, can you imagine when my friends invite me back to Chick-fil-A and I'm like, oh, can't go. I'm chicken intolerant. They'll be like... <laughs> What the heck? I feel like you'll get a lot of, if you just don't like Chick-fil-A, just say it. Yeah. Do, so do I, here's my dilemma, and let me know in either texting me if you know me, or emailing, or I don't know about that podcast at gmail.com. Um, subtle plug there. <laughs> do I say I'm just allergic to chicken to avoid the weird looks, or do I just go, I, I don't I'm know chicken if you are. intolerant? I'm, I don't know if you are. in. Just, just hear me out a minute. What? Just hear me out. I feel like you cycle through <laughs> intolerances to some degree. Because for a while there, you were exceedingly gluten intolerant. And now you're oh, getting I to the point. Am. Oh, you well, <laughs> You are, but you are less so. You are able to every now and again have a little bit. I think you just have gluten because you want it and not yeah, because you should yeah. have it. I had a Pop-Tart the other day and passed out. Like, <laughs> we, we haven't moved on yet. 
<laughs> now my lactose intolerance has actually gotten better than it used to be. Oh, but I feel like that's, that's also thinking of, with the lactate pill. Like, yeah. yeah. That helps too. But like, yeah, I used to eat like cheese on my pasta and I'd throw up. So like <laughs> we're not there anymore, which is nice. But yeah, so I started eating, I started, I'm not, I'm not going to get into too many details, but I realized I was sick every time I ate chicken, except for, and this is what gets weird, except for chicken salad and chicken wings. Okay. But all other chicken made me Maybe it's the way it's processed. Ill. Well, I was wondering I if it's dark whatever. meat versus light meat. Maybe. Possibly. And I then the last time I ate chicken salad i got sick still oh yeah so then i was like huh Maybe. but then the other day i was watching the dogs and i ate chicken wings and i was fine but i don't know since the so you know like when your stomach gets sick like vinegar is good so like salt and vinegar chips yeah. or like yeah. like um like pickles have like a lot of vinegar that'll help yeah. settle your stomach yeah. so does the zaxby sauce that i get it's pretty much just vinegar. <laughs> so i was like i wonder if that balanced it enough i mean maybe and also, I wasn't around other people to concentrate on if I was passing gas or not. Because, like, the dogs don't care. Like, you no. notice when you're around other people more. Because yeah. you're like, oh, can't do that, you know? Yeah. But, like, I was in a house by myself with two dogs. Like, I'm not going to be paying attention. So maybe I was still sick. I mean, I didn't feel sick. But maybe yeah. I was still, you know. Having some problems. Not well. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So I am chicken intolerant. <laughs> Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, my parents and I went to the beach. We left Jordan and Bethany here. Sorry about it. Yeah. Um, but on the way there, we passed a billboard. Hold on. Hold on. Let, let's be clear. You are not sorry for that at all. <laughs> That's true. It was really nice to not have them there. You. <laughs> because my parents splurged and got me a chair to sit next to them. Because we were only there for two days. And they splurged on it. It was amazing and when i said hey i want to go to this place for dinner we went there <laughs> and to, to clarify again she's not talking about them buying her a chair she's talking about renting oh yeah renting the chair the it's lounge. like a lounge yeah. bed almost yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. They're, they're yeah. um and it was Forty dollars a day. So Ooh. she would. None of none of my parents. None of your not parents. Not one of them would have paid for all of us to have chairs. So I usually have to bring one of those stupid, like super short beach chair things that don't really make sense. Your knees to are me. in your nose. Yeah. yeah. Unless you spread out your legs, but then you have sand up to the back of your <laughs> knees when you like leave the beach. So I was very glad I had a, and I had an umbrella that I didn't use, but it was there if I wanted it. And the attractive men kept coming by and being like, would you like your umbrella now? And I'm like, no, but check back later. But like, I'm never going to get the umbrella, but like he has to check back later. Right. So anyway, moving on. Um, so on the way there, we passed a billboard for a college and in big letters, it says you belong here, which kind of confused me because that was Mississippi College's thing, like, everywhere yeah. says you belong here, right? Yeah. And I noticed that across a couple different colleges, so I thought that was kind of weird, like... I know that my college was, uh, find your, like, you'll find your calling here, was kind of like okay. their slogan, so similar. Yeah. But since it was a Christian university, they kind right. of, like, reframed it a little bit. Well, Mississippi College is Christian, too. That's true. But... Then you get into the secular schools like University of Alabama, and it's where legends are made. <laughs> to be fair, 
I mean, what is our winning streak at this point? A billion. <laughs> I don't know what winning well, streaks are okay. measured in. <laughs> Four? Well, like, I don't know. <laughs> okay. How many championships have we won? Oh, like um, 28, 27? It's ridiculously high, to be fair. I see 27s on everything. So it's either still 27 or it's 28 now. And yeah, everyone's we wearing just haven't had a chance yeah. to. Yeah, I don't know yeah. about that. Campbellsville won a football game once. So did Mississippi <laughs> College. We won. The only football game we won my freshman year was against an online university. <laughs> I didn't even know they had football teams. Everybody was talking. Anyway. So. <laughs> but we're not talking about football. Sorry. Um, was, but it, This is podcast from Alabama. We had to get it in at some Right. Point. Yeah. Okay. No. Roll Tide. Anyway. So. <laughs> Um, I thought it was really interesting, and I saw that kind of, like, belonging theme throughout, like, you'll find your place here, this is yeah. your college, like, that kind of thing throughout, and even if they didn't say, like, hey, you belong here, there was a very heavy, like, almost, like, odd thing of, like, you'll meet your lifelong friends here, like, they put yeah. a lot of emphasis on that, and, like, this will affect you for the rest of your life, and, like... Just, I thought it was really weird. And, like, so seeing you belong here and ours was you belong here, I was just kind of like, that's kind of weird. So I thought that was very interesting. And I see a lot of, like, also, like, places and companies and organizations claiming belonging. Yes. And, like, even, like, so this is a little bit different, but, like, Sam's Club or Costco, like, those big wholesale yeah. sellers, yeah. like, you have to have a membership. Yes. So then you're like, oh, I have the membership to Costco, so it must be better than Sam's Club. And yeah. it's like, it's like you get this kind of mentality of, like, I belong to this, so it's better. Yeah. But also just, like, wanting to belong. It makes like, it feel more prestigious if we yeah. have to have a membership to Right, get no, it. when I was a kid, I wanted to shop at Costco so bad. I <laughs> well, didn't have money. I was that's, seven. That's adorable. But my aunt had a membership, and I was like, you can have a membership? I also wanted my mom's membership card. She used to give me old gift cards and, like, <laughs> stuff that she'd, stu- like, credit cards she paid off. And, yeah, like, yeah. Where, yeah, I had those. My little kid's <laughs> leopard wallet. Like, I, was, I thought it was so cool. That's really adorable. Well, you, you brought up kids, and you brought up, like, a sense of wanting to belong. And I, I think, how many times as a kid did you create some club or another to you know yes i mean you know you, you get your best friends together and oh in well, middle school we were the crazy eight we made a weebly website when we went to <laughs> high school we put picture it was like our own personal like social media where like nobody else could get on but like we right. all posted pictures and stuff it was kind of fun but yeah we were the crazy eight i had the cutest club i have y'all all beat <laughs> shout out to ellie if you're listening to this at all she was my neighbor, and we made the Smiley Face Club. That's precious. We delivered anonymous happy notes to our neighbors, no. and we had bookmarks with smiley faces all over them, and all we did was play the saddle club like we were riding horses <laughs> around on our neighbor's trampoline. So See, you did nice things. Uh, we usually created anarchy. We had our school... <laughs> Our middle school had to make a new rule that students couldn't sell things because we got together and we started making stress balls out of balloons filled with random items that we had, <laughs> like flour and rice. The, they were called different things. Like there was there was squishy, there was firm, there was crunchy, which was rice. And that was like the real big seller. But let me tell you, when the flour ones burst, 
Oof. in the middle of class. So we, our school made a rule that students couldn't sell things. See, don't bow down to the man. They're teaching you not to be entrepreneurs. Oh, we were full on anarchists. Sometimes <laughs> it was great. And you're over here delivering smiles. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to know, since you're like psychology, the resident yeah. non-psychologist, but psychologist, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I wanted to know what you had to say about this sense of belonging. Like, does everybody crave that? Is that a normal thing? Is that what they're kind of like, I don't want to say preying on, because it's not like Mississippi College is like taking advantage I of mean, you. I mean, like, they might not be, but the sense of belonging and like loneliness as it's kind of opposite is so powerful. I've been mm. listening to another podcast about cults. And I mean, it is like, you could t- it's not whether or not somebody is intelligent enough to be able to see through a cult. I mean, like, well-renowned sci- like scientists and high-profile people who are intelligent can just get preyed on by cult-, by cult leaders because they're lonely. And they just need somewhere to belong. And so they will just do insane things if they just feel like they'll be loved. Wow. So, I mean, it's loneliness and feeling like you can belong somewhere is a super powerful emotion. Yeah. So it makes sense that that's what a lot of different colleges would kind of utilize in their advertising campaigns is a sense of belonging. I guess like at that time in your life, you're like leaving high school and everything you've ever known. So that's kind of what you're most worried about is like, am I going to find friends? And then seeing like you belong here is kind of like, oh. In um, one of the theories of kind of personality development. Um, it's Eric Erickson's, and there's, it's like, any when you're about 18, you're either in, like, you're kind of, you're either developing your, like, identity, or or it's the, it's the identity crisis phase or whatever. And then the one right after it is about interpersonal relations. So, like, everybody is right on that cusp of, like, who am I? How do I relate to other people and how do other people relate to me and how does that affect who I am? And how? And so, like, there's all kinds of questions like that at that age range specifically, too. Right. And I get, like, I read a lot and there's a lot of, like, this whole, like, oh, but this has always been my identity. What am I going to do when I go off to college? Yeah. Like, that kind of thing. And, I mean, that totally makes sense. Oh, yeah. I can actually give some anecdotal evidence yeah. to this. I think I used that word right. (laughs) Um, So when we first moved down to Birmingham, down here, um, we moved from Louisville just before my senior year in high school. And I didn't want to belong Mm. because I was going to go through my senior year in a school that I didn't want to be at. I didn't want to know these people. Because I wasn't going to see him again. I was going to go off to college. I was going to become a big famous movie director and move on with my life. <laughs> and um, somebody else was in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> my lovely wife, uh, at the time my girlfriend, uh, was living in Louisville. Sorry I, sorry I chose to stay an extra few years in the best city on the planet. <laughs> I love this guy who was always referred to his wife as his ex-girlfriend because he's not his girlfriend anymore. <laughs> it would make her so mad at birth. I saw that online one time. It was my favorite thing. Anyways. Um, 
So we moved down here and I didn't want to belong, but that very quickly ate away at me. And I, like, I, I felt like I belonged at church once we finally found a church. It took us, what, like almost, almost two or three months to find, took a while. to find a church home here. And, and we I, were also going back and forth on weekends, yes, so it took even yeah. longer. Yeah. yeah. So, uh... We were having trouble selling our house in Louisville was and part of the issue. our grandmother was in a nursing yes. home in Louisville. Yeah, and we were so. trying to figure out how to transition down here. Yeah. It was the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can feel at home, generally. It might take me a little bit, but I can feel at home in any church that is gospel preaching. Right. Uh, and I can feel at home quicker if they've got a tech team that will welcome me. <laughs> That's uh, But... Uh, for the longest, like, I felt at home at church, but I was only, like, I didn't even really feel at home that much in our youth group, just because I didn't know many people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it took me forever to find a place in uh, our high school where I kind of sort of fit in, and I didn't even really want to fit in or focus on that. And it just ate away with me and ate away with me. Well, in college, I was still having all sorts of trouble. I had a life group that I fit into, sort of. I was a part of that. I felt like I was kind of on the fringes of that just because my personality is kind of like, don't talk. Especially at the time, I hadn't really learned to come out of my shell. So it was, don't talk unless you have to. Uh, but during Bible study, if you've got a point, bring it up. Socializing wasn't really a thing I was good at at the time. Um, and uh, eventually... One day, I, I was working at Subway during the summer, uh, in between freshman and sophomore year, and I showed up to work, and they're like, why are you here? <laughs> I'm like, I work. This is my job. And they're like, no, you're, you're scheduled in at five. I was like, you told me one. Oh, no. <laughs> I've got a ton of time now. Thank you. And I can't remember what... Ex I think it was because I had to work and I couldn't get the time off. I was here and you, mom, and dad had gone back to Louisville for something. You you were out of the state. Yeah. At any rate. And it was just me at the house. And I was like, well, I got a ton of free time. I got a little bit of money in my pocket now that I'm working. <laughs> There's a Lego store here. <laughs> and that is... Uh, Lego has been my hobby since I was, like, old enough to put pieces together. And let's establish something really quick. You played with Lego. Yes. You did not play with Legos. <laughs> yes, no. Uh, for those who do not know, Lego is a contraction of the Danish words leg <laughs> and gut. You had to bring it up, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't want anyone to be like, why is he saying this wrong? Yeah. Uh, Lego is a contraction of the Danish words leg and gut, which... Um, you can't pluralize a contraction. They, they mean play well. Uh, but you can't pluralize a contraction. So it is incorrect to say Legos. But Lego bricks is correct. Yes, yeah. You, you can pluralize the Lego thing. Yes. You cannot pluralize Lego. Went to the store. Um, and I, I had had some idea to... I, I get really attached to the minifigures. Especially the ones that like I create. Or um, that I grew up with. Those are just the Lego people, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I had thought, you know, it might be kind of cool to build like an apartment complex for them. Each one could have their own little room, be stylized after them. That's cool. Cute. But I, I, I had 
mostly just gotten sets before, so I didn't have a whole lot of like pieces. Yeah. Right. So I went there to buy a ton of parts to do this, and while I was there, I just happened to be there at the same time that somebody who's become a friend of mine now uh, was working at the store, and he invited me to because he. he Asked me, you know, what I'm doing. I explained what I'm doing. He helps me find a few parts. Uh, and he says, you know, if you're really into this building thing, you should check out this group called McLug, the Magic City Lego Users Group. And I'm like, what's that? And he explains that it's it's a Lego Users Group. is a club of people who build Lego. They have, you know, we've got collectors. We've got people who build their own stuff. People who just build sets. But we all come together to like a club. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, come to find out, it's for adults only. I have found maybe <laughs> my people. This is great. And so uh, he told me when the next meeting was, it was going to be a minifigure swap day. Uh, it was going to be on a Saturday. They, the store was very gracious. The Lego store would let them in uh, a couple Saturdays a year, uh, an hour before the store opened to do their meetings. And I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. I wake up that day, that Saturday, and I'm like, okay. Oh, crap. Crap, that's today. I got to get ready. I get ready. I fly to the mall and I walk in and everybody's already set up uh, all their minifigures on some tables that they brought to trade and stuff. And then I really was like, my people, (laughs) I have found them. It was glorious and wonderful. And from that point forward, I have been able to consider Birmingham my home. I have had a group of people that I consider friends who uh, I can be close to, that I can share experiences with, that I belong to. Right. Before, yeah. I was ready to move out of Birmingham. Yeah. I was honestly ready to move out of Birmingham whenever the time came. Now, it was like, with the Lego store closing when I worked there, it was like, I don't know if I can move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like there there are opportunities for me at other Lego stores, but I don't know if I can move. There are other opportunities for me in other places, but I don't know if I can move because I belong here now. It's not just that club keeping me here anymore. It's not right. even just that church or our family keeping me here anymore. There's more to it than that now. But it's like that one little thing of uh, feeling like I belonged just blossomed into this whole this whole thing. Right. And I think that's really interesting too with like Christianity. Like God didn't make us to do this all by ourselves. Mm-mm. Like we are part of the body. You know, there's that whole thing. No like, man is an island. That I kind mean, of thing. Yeah. So, wow, that tied back. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like we, we weren't meant to do this alone. So I think belonging is really important. Yeah. <laughs> If you have something you want to say to us, email us at I don't know about that podcast at gmail.com. Uh, it'll be in the description box wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram at I don't know about that podcast. And the intro music I wanted to talk about was actually provided to us by my childhood friend, Honest Jack. Links to his music will be in the description wherever you get the podcast. Um, Thank you so much, Jack, for letting us use this. It's perfect. And um, subscribe to be notified when we post again. You can always unsubscribe later if you're too busy or just when you're looking for it. I don't want to be pushy, but, like, you should subscribe. (laughs) Um, And thank you for listening, sharing with your friends. You 
belong here listening to us. You belong with us. Yes. We're friends now. You're welcome here. Please come back next week and be safe.